Man, uh, thank you so much for being here. And like I said, really excited to be jumping into this third week of our Overcome series. There are about two or three times a year where I, I, I'll be prepping for a message throughout the week and um, just, it, it's not a normal thing. It's kind of a rare thing for me, but maybe two, three times a year where I just feel like the Holy Spirit kind of speaks to my heart or, or begins to kind of show some things to me. And in other words, I feel like God kind of calls an audible for what I thought we were going to talk about on Sunday, because we work really hard to kind of be scheduled around here and work towards what we're trying, what we feel like God's trying to say to us. But every now and then, there are just these moments where I feel like God calls an audible, and it's like, hey, no, we're going over here. So I had originally planned to do something completely different for this third week of Overcome to talk about some different things. But this week, as I was just kind of doing some study, really personally for myself, um, I told the staff and, and, and just some of the team, I just said, I just, I really feel like that this is what God uh, wants us to hear as a church to, uh, today. And, and, and so this series has really just been about us figuring out how to live victorious, how to live free, that all of us are kind of, at certain times in our life, maybe we struggle with being bound up or um, chained up or trapped and and not really able to live the, the victorious, free life that God wants us to live. Maybe it's addictions. Maybe it's emotions like fear and insecurity. Or maybe there's sin that's holding us back. Maybe it's harmful relationships or just decisions that we're making. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I can never seem to do the things that I want to do. And I always do the things I don't want to do. And what we said the first week is, man, if there's ever been a verse in the Bible that describes me, that's it right there. I never do the things I want to do, and I always end up doing the things I don't want to do, and a lot of us live in that place. So how can we find freedom, and and how can we live free? So that's really what this series has has been about, and what I want to do today uh, for this last week is I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture to you. We're going to start in 1 Chronicles 12. If you don't have a Bible, it's all right. They're going to be up on the screen. But I want to talk to you today about the idea or the, the, the concept of, of what I'm calling flawed warriors, flawed warriors. And I'll tell you what I mean by that in a second. But I just want to give you a heads up that this may be a little messy today. I'm kind of regurgitating these thoughts that have just been running around in my head. And, and I, it's really been a powerful thing in my life over the last, you know, four days or so. And I really believe that that God wants to do something special today. And if you're here a lot, you know I don't normally say things like that. And I don't really try to press that. But I really just feel very strongly that, that there are people in the room today who really need to hear what I believe God is trying to communicate uh, to us. If I, could, if I could change one thing about the church, like if, if, I was, if I was given the superpower, if I was given the ability to change one thing, like to fix one thing, that was broken in the church in general, not just River City, but the church in general. If I could just fix one thing that I feel like would be the most important thing to fix, I would fix how the church never really is honest or how individual Christians are never really honest about what we're going through, what we're feeling, what we're facing, what we're battling. We have just mastered the art of making it appear like we're doing better than we are. You know what I'm talking about? We've just gotten good at it. And I don't blame us for doing it because somewhere along the way, we figured out that usually church people are mean, Christian people are mean, they're judgmental, and it's not that they are and we're not. We're all in that boat together. 
And, and, and unfortunately, the church is a lot more like the angry mob a lot of times than they are Jesus. Some, unfortunately, that's us. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying that's us. That's us. And what kind of breaks my heart is I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a church leader. And so people are always coming to me and they're looking for counseling. They're sharing things that they're going through. And I wish I could get all of us to just communicate with all of us about what we're going through instead of coming to the pastor all the time. Because if we would, here's what we would find out we're all pretty much in the same place. We're all pretty much in the same vicinity of each other. Like, we're all kind of doing okay, but we're all kind of not doing okay in some areas. We're all feeling certain ways. Like, I, I talked to person after person after person after person. We're all kind of in the same place. But we never communicate that. We never talk about that. We never, we never share that with other people. And so the impression that we give off and the impression that we look around and we kind of pick up is that everybody's doing great. That nobody really is struggling. Nobody's really having any, any problems. And maybe what's worse than all of that is that those of us who have figured out how to perfect our, the clean side of us forget that we have another side of us that's struggling and not doing great. We forget about that somehow or we block it from our minds and we become, watch this, judgmental of other people's struggles and problems. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I've had people who have been married two and three times come to me angry, ready to stone somebody to death who's getting a divorce. And in that moment, I go, wait a second. You, you're upset at them for getting a divorce? I'm not, I'm not making a blanket statement about divorce. I'm saying you're on your third marriage, but you're upset at them. I've had guys who are up to their eyeballs in addiction to pornography want to go after a man who has cheated on his wife. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm not saying all sins are the same, and I'm not saying there aren't different consequences. What I'm saying is we don't think about the fact that we are struggling and we are addicted and we are lusting, but we're ready to attack the person who's falling over here. Are you following what I'm saying? All of us tend to kind of do that. So we're struggling. We're not honest about what we're struggling about. We figure out a way to kind of block that off in our lives, and then we become judgmental people towards other people's issues. And so that person who is struggling doesn't feel loved, grace, accepted. But if we could just be honest about what we're all going through, there'd be enough grace and enough acceptance to go around because we'd be like, yeah, we're all kind of in the same place. We're all kind of in the same place. And I was reading this week in 1 Chronicles 12, and you may not know this, but but the book of 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles is the same as 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. They're the same stories. They're just told from a different perspective, a different historical perspective. And so I've been reading 1 and 2 Samuel, and I've been reading 1 and 2 Chronicles, and I came across this verse in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and I want to read this to you. Here's what it says. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, The following men joined David at Ziklag while he was hiding from Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who fought beside David in battle, these, they were among them. Verse 2, all of them, all of them were expert archers, and they could shoot arrows or sling stones with their left hand as well as their right. So, so these guys are the cream of the crop. They are expert archers. They're ambidextrous. They can throw. Like, these are incredible warriors. 
And you can keep reading through chapter 12, but like, for example, verse 8 says, They were expert with both shield and spear, as fierce as lions and as swift as deer on the mountains. Verse 14 says, The weakest among them could take on a hundred regular troops. The strongest could take on a thousand. I want you to comprehend that for a second. We're talking, you know, arm-to-arm battle here. And the weakest of them could fight a hundred men. The strongest among them could fight a thousand men. I want you to kind of grasp what kind of men we're talking about here. What kind of warriors we're talking about. I mean, these dudes are, they're bad. I mean, they, you don't want to mess with these guys. They are expert, expert warriors. Now, I want to read something to you because what First Chronicles is referencing there is First Samuel chapter 30. But, but I want to go back to First Samuel chapter 22 because that's really where David's army comes together. So just hang with me for a second because I want to take you somewhere. So we read in 1 Chronicles 12, these expert, incredible warriors, David's soldiers. I want to to take you back to where it all began, 1 Samuel 22. Here's what it says. It says, so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of uh, Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Look at verse 2. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt. or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. Okay, listen, read this again. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. So, So 1 Chronicles 12 is referencing these group of guys, okay, and it's the same story. It's not like David found him and then made him into what we read in 1 Chronicles 12. It's the same men, same story, same time in history, just two different authors, two different perspectives. And we read in one chapter that they are expert archers, expert throwers. They're fierce. They can kill 100 men. They can kill 1,000 men. They're warriors, right? That's true. That's who they are. And at the same time, we read that they are in trouble, they are in debt, and they are generally discontent. We're talking about the same men. Expert archers, expert warriors, and in trouble, and in debt, and generally discontent. The same men. Able to be both things at the same time. Have you ever felt like there were two versions of you? Don't raise your hand, but have you ever felt like there's two versions of you? That there is the, the good side and then there's the honest side, the bad side, the struggling side, that there's two versions of us. That's what we're reading about here. In 1 Chronicles 12, we see the version of the mighty warrior that with the sword and the shield, they are incredible. And in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we read about the other version of the same men that are in trouble and in debt and generally dis. Content. And as I was reading this this week, I thought, that's it. That's it. That's where we live. That's who we are. That all of us have this like heroic side to us, and all of us have this kind of like humanity side to us. You know what I mean? Like, like all of us have a great side and a bad side. Like, in other words, I wrote some things down like, like you're strong and you're weak. Both are true. You're strong and you're weak. You're great and you're flawed. Both things are true, right? You're you're great, you're incredible, and 
you're flawed. You're gracious and you're judgmental. Both things are true. You're an incredibly gracious person, but other times you're incredibly judgmental. Same person, different versions. You're generous and you're greedy. You're successful and you're insecure. Are you understand what I'm saying? That, that all of us have this heroic side and all of us have this humanity side to us. And I think we spend way too much time, I know I do and I know I think we do, we spend way too much time trying to fix our flaws trying to fix our flaws, trying to bring up our weaknesses because we think God is looking for strong, you know, warriors. But God has always chosen flawed warriors to do his work. He's all, he, he, God is not looking for perfect. God is not looking for got it together. God is not looking for strong. He's always chosen flawed Warriors, And so what I want to do today is I just want to give you three like, statements, three ideas that I jotted down, really for my own life, that, we have, that, that all of us have these two sides. I want to just give you three ideas, three thoughts. They'll be up on the screen for you if you want to write them down. But just dealing with this two-version person that we are, this flawed person that we are. The first thought is this, is that God's grace is bigger than my weakness. God's grace is bigger than my weakness. God's grace is bigger than my weakness. And not only is God's grace bigger than my weakness, but God's grace is actually made bigger in my weakness. I think sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking, I need to, I need to get to the place where God doesn't need to use grace on me. That kind of sounds kind of weird, but like, that's a, we're, all, we're all striving to get to that place to where like, well, you know, today God had to use, you know, 40% grace, but I hope tomorrow he only has to use 30%, and then I hope the next day he only has to use, like, I want to get to the place where God doesn't have to use as much grace on me. But the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, like, the Apostle Paul was an incredible leader, man of God, and in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I've received such wonder, wonderful revelations from God, so... To keep me from becoming uh, proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need. Look, God said to Paul, my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and trouble that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What does that mean? I boast in my weaknesses. Does that mean Paul's walking around going like, I'm weak, yeah, I'm addicted, yeah, I'm insecure, yeah, I can't, I can't overcome, yeah. No, that's not what it means. Here's, here's what he means. Paul recognized that when we find ourselves at our weakest places, that's when God is at his strongest. So all throughout the Bible, you would find God setting up, especially in the Old Testament, you would find him setting up armies that were massive underdogs that should never have a chance to win. Why? Because when they won, it showed that God was at his strongest. So they weren't walking around bragging, saying we're weak, they were boasting in the fact that they didn't deserve to win, but God allowed them to win. So in other words, Paul is not boasting about what he's bad at. Paul is saying, I don't, I'm bragging on God's strength. I don't deserve 
this. I don't deserve this ministry, this place. I don't deserve to, to, to be where I'm at. I don't deserve it. He's bragging on God's, God's strength. I remember meeting with somebody one time, wanted to come talk to me, and they were crying and telling me this beautiful story about what God had done in their life. And they said to me, they said, I don't deserve to be alive right now. I, I've, I've, I've put cars into trees, drunk. I've done enough drugs I should have OD'd. I, I, I've done enough stupid things I should be in jail or be dead one or the other. And I don't know why, but God has so, been so good to me. She was, she was boasting in her weakness. That's what she was doing. Because God is strongest, God's grace is biggest when we are weak. And the point of this is not that we should try to be weaker. The point is we are weak. That, that, that we are flawed, that we, we do have these things in our lives that we can't overcome. And I'm not saying we'll never overcome them because I do believe that God wants us to overcome sin in our life. Please hear that. But there are things that you are gonna take with you to your grave they're never gonna be taken away from your life. They're, they're, they're never gonna be removed from your life all for the purposes of God being made strong while you and, 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 and because you are weak. God's grace is bigger than my weakness. And so if you're here today and you would say, Jason, I'm really flawed and I'm weak and I, I can't ever seem to get it together, I, I would say, that you have the opportunity if you'll let him for God to do something incredible in your life. Because the only type of person that God can't stand is a proud person. Can't stand it. He can't stand it. God's grace is bigger than my weakness. The second thought that I wrote down after reading these, these verses is that perfection is not the goal. That perfection is not the goal. We've got these warriors that are fighting with David and they are incredible warriors and they are incredibly flawed men. And it's easy for us to think that we need to fix the flawed guy before we can be the great guy. But perfection is not the goal. I've never met a happy perfectionist, ever. Anybody ever met a happy perfectionist? Never happy. There's always something to work on. There's always something to, to fix. There's always something to do. And we're all geared, we're all wired to focus on what needs to be fixed, right? Like your kid comes home from school and he gives you his report card or her report card and they've got four A's, a B, and a D. No parent in the room goes, that's incredible. You did awesome with your four A's and two B's. Like, that's great. We don't do that, right, parents? We look at it and we go, what's up with this D? What happened with this D right here? Isn't that what we do? And that's the way we do our own lives. We, we don't look at it and go, man, you're doing great. You're doing good. We look at it and go, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? I, I have a, a friend in my life who's struggling right now with some addiction. And, and what God is doing in his life is incredible. But he can't see it because he keeps kicking himself and beating himself up about where he's still falling short. And I try to remind him all the time, like, man, do you realize where you were six months ago? Think about where you are now. That's incredible. God's doing incredible things in your life. I say to him, like, I'm proud of you. He's like, there's nothing to be proud of. I'm like, yes, there is. Think about where you were. But he can't. All he can see is where he still falls short. And so we want to serve God and we want to follow God, but we think we have to get it all right before we can come to him. 
But the reason he died on the cross for you and for me is because we can never get it all right. We can't get it all right. It's like a leaking roof in our life. The moment you plug this spot, something starts falling over here. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You can't get it right. Well, I don't read my Bible enough. Well, great. Try to read it more. That's great. But God doesn't love you less or he isn't disappointed in you because you're not reading your Bible enough. And if you think God can't use you until you start reading your Bible more, you're mistaken. Does that mean God didn't use anybody before the printing press? Of course not. Like God's plans are not limited to your flaws. We'll talk about that in a second. Well, Jason, but I still can't kick this addiction. Great, I hear it. Okay, I'm sorry, and I, and I know that God wants to help you and give you strength to be a, a better person, but can I tell you that he's not waiting on you to beat that addiction in order to do something incredible in your life. You're not just the worst things that you do. Please hear that. You know, the great thing about being a warrior back in that time was you wore, you wore armor head to toe. Head to toe, you wore so. So if you had a problem, nobody could really like, see it. Like you were just an, a great warrior. The Bible tells a story about an incredible warrior named Haman who had leprosy. He was the leader of the army, but nobody knew he had leprosy because he was always wearing armor so they couldn't see his skin. And so here was this leader of this army who was known as the, the greatest warrior of the time and underneath his armor was this leprosy and nobody knew it. But it didn't disqualify him from fighting and it doesn't disqualify you either. What I'm trying to convey to you today, what I'm trying to say to you today is that you're flawed and I'm flawed and we're all flawed. And yes, God is going to keep growing and developing and working in us. And, 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 and he's never going to stop doing that. That hopefully next year we're farther along than we are now. Yes, that is what would be great. But the goal of a relationship with God is not to clean you up. The goal of a relationship with God is not to make you a better person. That's never been his goal. He called you the light of the world and the salt of the earth while you were still messed up. The Bible says that while you were still a sinner, he went to the cross. And if you keep trying to perfect your life and clean your life up, thinking that that's what God is waiting on, you're missing it. You're missing it. Because God's grace is bigger than weakness and, and perfection is not the goal of your life. And we've already mentioned this a couple of times, but, it, but the third kind of thought that I wrote down is that God's purpose for my life is not limited by my problem. Somebody needs to hear that this morning, that God's purpose for my life is not limited by my problem. I'm sure you've heard this before, but I, I just wrote down a quick list just thinking through the people that God used in the Bible. And I, you know, I've heard people say this a lot, so maybe you've heard some of these before, but I just wrote down a couple. I didn't even spend a lot. Noah was a drunk. Noah was an alcoholic. Jacob was a con artist who, who conned his dying dad and tricked his brother so bad they wanted to kill him. Joseph, even though Joseph gets a lot of credit and did some incredible things, Joseph was a little bit power hungry, so much so that he sold all of his family and friends into slavery for more money. Moses was insecure. Moses had a speech problem, but even a little bit bigger deal than a speech problem was the fact that he murdered a man and then buried the body, right? 
David was a man after God's own heart, used incredibly by God, uh, had, a, had all the wives that he wanted. He had like four wives, slept with somebody who wasn't his wife after creeping on her and watching her bathe, which is a little bit weird, and then slept with her and then tried to cover it up because she got pregnant, then killed her husband. I don't know what issues you've got in your life, but I mean, David's going down a path here. You know what I'm saying? So he, he's... he's He's watching a woman bathe, sleeping with her, getting her pregnant, killing her husband. And God said, I love his heart. Catch that. Hear that. God said, I love his heart. His actions are awful, but I love that heart. And there was a season in David's life where he was totally jacked up but it didn't disqualify him. The disciples, I don't know if you guys have been watching the AD program on NBC. I normally don't watch like Bible Christian movies because they're usually pretty lame, but this one's really good actually. And uh, it's been incredible to watch this, like the humanity side of the disciples. One of the 12 that Jesus chose, like Jesus, all knowing Jesus, one of them betrayed him. That's pretty bad to betray Jesus. Peter cussed like a sailor, literally. I mean, he's a filthy mouth man. Denied Jesus. The apostle Paul, was known as Saul, was like a member of ISIS, okay? Like literally, he was a terrorist. He would kill Christians. So I want you to think about that right now. Like think about what's going on over on the other side of the world with ISIS, how they're beheading Christians. Now I want you to imagine that God is going to use one of those guys who's beheading those Christians to build one of the greatest churches in history. That's what God did through Saul, the apostle Paul. I want you to think just for a second, I, I know it's easy for us to say, well, that's the Bible. I want you to think for a second if you heard that before he was killed, Osama bin Laden gave his heart to Jesus, and now he was traveling around leading people to Jesus. I want you to think about that for a second. That's what he did for Saul, the apostle Paul. So you're going like, well, I just don't know if God can use me, Jason. I mean, I just struggle with fear. Okay, like he was a terrorist, Okay. And so God's purposes in your life are not limited by the problems that you're facing, the struggles that you have, the things you can't kick, the things you can't overcome in your life. And I know it seems like everybody around you's got it together. They don't. They've told me all their secrets. I know they don't. They don't. And you don't either. And that's okay. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's okay. But there are two versions to all of us. There's the public side and there's the private side, and we have perfected hiding the private side. But we're both people. And God wants to do something incredible in our lives right now, right where we're at, even with what we're struggling, struggling with and facing and and fighting like God still wants to use us in an incredible, incredible way. My heart, my heart has just been so, I don't know what the word would be. I'm, I told you it was a little bit messy today, but I, my heart has just been so moved this last week. 
and just really kind of broken at just with a desire and, and just a hope that somehow this could be a place and we could be a people that are honest about where we are, honest about our struggles, not feeling judged, not feeling condemned, but not just honest so that we feel better about getting it off our chest, but honest so that we can say, you know what, this is what a community of believers looks like. This is what a community of believers feels like. It's, it's people who love God and struggle. Like, if you were being honest, you would probably say, like, I always thought that there would be a certain period of time after I gave my heart to God where I wouldn't struggle anymore. I know I thought that. I thought, well, you know, three, six months, whatever, like, I, I'll get it all together, and yeah, every now and then I'll struggle with this or that, but I'll have the big stuff behind me, and I'll be doing okay, and can I tell you, that's just not true. The struggles may be different, the seasons may be different, but God always has used and chosen flawed warriors. And if, and if, um, if perfecting your behavior is the goal of a relationship with God, you're going to be incredibly bored in a few months when you figure out how to stop publicly doing the things that you'd want to stop doing. It's never been the goal. It's never been the goal. And so maybe, maybe the biggest thing that we have to overcome today is not our behavior. Maybe the biggest thing we have to overcome is not our emotions or our habits or actions. Maybe the biggest thing we have to overcome today is the way that we think about ourselves. Maybe the biggest struggle that we face and the biggest fight for our life that we have is the way that we think about ourselves. Maybe it's to stop defining ourselves by our failures or Maybe it's to stop um, disqualifying ourselves when God hasn't disqualified us. Maybe it's to stop labeling ourselves by the worst things that we've done or continue to do. Maybe the key to living a victorious free life is to, is to actually believe that God is doing something and wants to do something incredible right now, right where we are to stop beating ourselves up, to, start, to stop pushing ourselves down and to change the way that we think and say, you know what? He loves me. I'm a child of God. I'm great and I'm flawed. I'm a hero and I'm a human. There's two versions to me. And God, I want you to use both of them. I want you to work on both of them. I thought a great way to, to end this series would be to, to pray a prayer, but it's really not a prayer. It's really a, a, a psalm. They're going to throw it up on the screen, and it may be too long for us to read together. I don't know. Like, it's kind of hard to do like a paragraph together. I get that. But I want to read this passage of Scripture to you. I think it just really speaks to where so many of us are and what we want God to do flawed as we are, what we want God to do in our lives. This is Psalm chapter 90, verse 14, and here's what it says. David's writing, and, and he's, he's writing a prayer that Moses actually prayed, and verse 14 says, 
satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love. Like to God saying, satisfy me each morning with your unfailing love. So we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. I love that it says end of our lives because it gives us like a not immediate focus, like a long-term focus. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. I love that. Isn't that incredible? Like, God, I pray that you would give me the amount of gladness that I've had in misery. Some of us, that'd be a lot of gladness. <laughs> that'd be pretty sweet. That'd be a lot of gladness. Replace the evil years with good. Man, I love that. So we're praying that God each day, like maybe you're here today and you're facing something in your life that, that, that gets all over you every day. Maybe it's fear, insecurity. Maybe it is a sin, a habit, an addiction, whatever it is, and it's a daily battle for you. We're praying that each day God would satisfy us with unfailing love we're praying that he would give us gladness in proportion to our misery. We're praying that he would replace the evil years with good. And I'm gonna keep reading the last two verses, but it says, let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. I love that idea that continues on generations. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. We're saying, God, I don't want to be this person anymore, but as long as I'm this person, I still want to be used by you. I still want to do something incredible. I still want you to do great things in my life. I don't want to be this person, but I'm still this person, and, but that doesn't disqualify me anymore. So I don't know, this may be a disaster, but can we try to read this together, verses 14, 15, 14 and 15? Is it up on the screen? Yeah, all right. So just ignore 16 and 17. We're gonna read, we're gonna read Psalm 90, 14 and 15. All right? Let's read that together. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love, so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. That was pretty good for the first trial. Let's do it one more time together, all right? Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Listen, we're gonna pray in just a second. I just want you to give yourself a break. I just want you to give yourself a break. You're doing good. You're here today. You do want God to do something incredible in your life. You do want to be a good mom. You do want to be a good dad. You do want to beat that addiction. That's not the person that you want to be. You don't want to struggle with fear. I get it. Give yourself a break. You're a flawed warrior. So am I. But we're not disqualified. Let's pray.